Hello, and welcome back to Avatar the Podcast. Comic edition. There you go. Yes. We are your hosts, Acorn Band and Booster Greg, and we are back with a new trio of comics, this time set in a different part of the world, the Southern Water Tribe. But this doesn't look like the Southern Water Tribe to me. It does not, Greg. We're going to find out why in just a couple minutes. Oh, I can't wait. But first, we're going to go through some more five-star reviews. Yes, yes. The first one comes from Nightbat10, and they write, Appa approved podcast. I found out about this podcast when the comics were being made, so I'm pretty late and have enjoyed listening to all my favorite episodes while I fall asleep and during the day. I get stressed out because I'm going to middle school, and this is a great distraction. I love that you guys read the reviews because I get to see you guys react to other people's ideas and jokes. I also love that Greg has the best puns. Five stars for both of you guys. Oh, we have gotten some really good puns and jokes in our reviews. That is true. Yes. My opinion might be biased, but I think they're pretty funny. (laughs) If they're Greg approved, then we really know they're good puns. Yes, absolutely. I misread that. They're going into middle school. That's stressful. Oh, man. Okay. For everyone listening, I will admit middle school can be rough. That's okay. You're going to get through it. Yep. Make some good friends. Mm -hmm. Keep your nose clean. Get to high school. And it's a different story. Maybe. Or maybe it'll be like me and it's not a different story. (laughs) But it doesn't matter. Because you get through it. You just do your homework as your parents will tell you. And you do things you're supposed to. And then maybe do a couple of things you're not supposed to that are not dangerous. That Mm -hmm. are just fun. Mm -hmm. All right. A little rebellion. And then you'll be all right. Make a slip and slide down a hallway or just something not dangerous, not breaking the law, but still fun. Still fun. Maybe if you live in a place with snow and your front door is directly in front of a staircase, just whoop, just go right down. Like, home <laughs> That's a little more dangerous. Fine. Don't do that. Thank you so much for the review, Nightbat 10. Yes. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Our next review comes from your podcast. Oh, this one. There's a little bit of backstory to this one. Oh, cool. We'll remember this previous review. This is an updated review. This previous review was that one that was one sentence long. And then the day after we recorded that, they updated it. Oh, I see. Okay. (laughs) So this is from Milo. Yes. Milo writes, I love your podcast so, 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 so much. And then a bunch of grinning emojis. And sorry if this is too much to read. I laugh one gillion times every time I listen to your podcast. My top five are Toph, Iroh, Sokka, Cabbage Merchants, and Katara. I love the books, so listening to your podcast makes me love Avatar even more. I was kind of zoning out of Avatar until I found your podcast, so thank you. I found your podcast on accident looking for Avatar stuff like three months ago. I've watched most of your episodes, but they are so long I don't finish them easily, but it gives me something to do. I love your podcast so, 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 so much. It's because I have dyslexia, so it's hard for me to read. I just started to get the gist of reading two to three months ago. So thank you for having your podcast for me to listen to. I've been loving Avatar for two and a half years, and I am 10 years old. I am known as an Avatar kid in my class because I'm obsessed with it. I have Avatar everything. My birthday is coming up, and you should see how much Avatar stuff is in my Amazon shopping cart. (laughs) Your podcast is amazing. And then about two dozen exclamation points, and then like, you know, another dozen emojis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love Love the excitement. Oh my gosh. 
I love hearing that our podcast is helping you with reading. I actually have heard that people with dyslexia can listen and read at the same time and that can help them. So that's so cool. I'm glad that we're able to help you get into the comics a little bit more. Yeah, they're so much fun. And you're learning new things. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Milo, for leaving that awesome review and updating it. We super appreciate it. Yes. And I hope you get a lot of amazing Avatar stuff for your birthday. Yes. Yes. Hopefully the whole shopping cart is just freed into your home. That's what I hope. Absolutely. All right. The next review is another updated review from Secret Sea Bear. We're not going to read the whole thing, but they did put in as a response to when we read their review on Spoken Shadow Part 1. So I did want to share that. They wrote... As I was just going to do simple things using stuff like positive and negative energy. So if anyone forgets, this is the science experiment with bending. And we were like, please don't don't blow yourself up. (laughs) Please. So they elaborated and said they're just kind of doing basic like water pushing and pulling and stuff like that. Although they have an idea for making fire, but they're not doing that. Don't worry. Okay. They're not doing it. Okay, good. But yes, I just wanted to let everyone know if you were wondering what happened with using science as a bending, it's water-based, it's safe, there's fire ideas, mm-hmm. but that's where they end. You know, take a note from the mechanist and write down your ideas into blueprints and keep them all over your bedroom and claim that you're a mad scientist. Yes. Like him. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. I also liked this last sentence too I wanted to share because I think this is very sweet and nice. They write, may you get a... Five-star review from Jack DeSena and Mae Whitman. I hope so. That would be so wonderful. Thank you for sending that out into the universe. That would be amazing. Yes, yes. And Secret Sea Bear, again, good to hear from you. Thank you so much for updating that review and letting us know you're being safe because I was losing sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Our second to last review comes from Love Your Podcast. And they write, Toftacular Podcast. And in parentheses, it's written so you can read it, Greg. Good. This is catching on, I think. It is catching on. (laughs) I love this podcast. Thank you so much for making it. I always await a new podcast eagerly. And when it comes, if I have the comic on hand, my favorite airbender is Tenzin from Korra. Speaking of Korra, I can't wait for you to do the show in comics. Anyway, my favorite waterbender would have to be Katara. And as for my favorite earthbender, it's definitely Toph. Firebender, Zuko for sure. My favorite hybrid animal is a lion turtle. And my favorite non-bender is the cabbage merchant. I love the cabbage merchant. I love the cabbage merchant. Yes. A bit of headcanon is always nice. So here's some of mine. I think the mechanist from the Northern Air Temple is somehow related to Hiroshi Sato from Korra. Anyway, thank you again for making this podcast and keep up the good work. Having remembered very little about Korra... I'm inclined to agree right now because I would love that connection. But I think I will hold off anyways for official comment until after we've completed at least book one. Yes. From what I remember, that is a great headcanon. So Mm -hmm. I love that. And maybe we'll revisit it when we get to Korra. And our last review that we're reading for this episode comes from Sokka18727. I think this might be an imposter Sokka. What do you think? I don't know. Sokka18727 seems like a pretty legitimate Sokka (laughs) screen name for this. What does this Sokka say? This Sokka says, 10 out of 10 would recommend. This podcast is incredible, top tier. (gasps) I would definitely recommend to everyone who loves Avatar. Wow. Incredibly? Incredibly top. Oh, incredibly. I misread that. Sorry, everyone. I'm sick. You can hear it in my voice. I get a little deeper, a little more in the baritone range when I'm sick. (laughs) Uh I'm going to blame it all on that. 
Here is my top five favorite <laughs> characters. Sokka, Zuko, Boomy, Aang, and Iroh. Nice. Well, Boomy, one of Greg's favorite characters. I love Boomy. It's no surprise. I was thinking back on this. We've separated ourselves from the main series and main animated series mm-hmm. by quite some time. So I'm going back into my top five. And they are officially as follows. Mm-hmm. Not in this order, by the way. Okay. Sokka, Boomy, Zuko, Iroh, and Chong. Oh my God, Chong. <laughs> Chong makes the cut right now. Actually, eh, no. Chong gets bumped down to number six because Toph takes that number five Oh, slot. that's true. Can't ignore Toph. Everyone was just about to throw riot. rocks at me and yeah. riot. <laughs> <laughs> no, Chong will get bumped down because Toph needs to be in the top five. But and, th- and then a solid Zhao. top five, though. Zhao would oh. be number seven. Can't yeah. forget about Zhao. What I'm hearing is Greg needs a top 10 because top 10. he has too many characters that he loves. This is what happens when you devote years of deep research <laughs> into a yep. thing. It's just a lot more difficult. But anyways, I digress. Everyone, thank you so much for leaving those reviews. We super appreciate it. Especially you, Sokka18727. Not because of your name or anything. No, not because I love Sokka in <laughs> all of his glory. Yep. Well, speaking of adding knowledge to our brains in the Avatar variety, we're about to get some more info as we journey back to the Southern Water Tribe in North and South Part 1. Or as we like to call it, Return to the Southern Water Tribe. Pretty on the nose. And that is what we're going to be doing. This story is also by Jean Luen Yang, art by Gurihiru. And this is actually something that Yang said was very intentional. You know, we just got through Smoke and Shadow, which was very Zuko family oriented. We're going to shift gears and go back to Katara and Sokka. And Yang said he wanted to have the fifth volume focus on them and give what he says... Time to the two siblings from the South Pole, they're due. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Yeah. I also miss Sokka very, very much. I know. It's been a really long time since we've seen him, so I'm excited about that. Yes, me too. Oh, everyone's like, yeah, we know, Greg. You're excited to see Sokka again. <laughs> Always. This isn't news. This is not news. Well, the story opens with Katara dreaming. She dreams of being a little girl in the Southern Water Tribe. She's awoken by her mother, who tells her that there's something she needs to see. The snow outside has stopped and the sun is out. Katara joins her mother outside their hut to see the village blanketed in peaceful white snow. Kaya asks Katara, isn't it beautiful? And Katara agrees, eyes wide with delight. Kaya then tells Katara to wake up, which confuses Katara because she's already awake. As she's trying to figure out why her mother keeps saying that, Katara actually wakes to find herself on a boat with her brother telling her to wake up because they've reached their destination. Katara sits up, sleepy and disoriented, and Sokka asks if she's all right. Katara assures him she is. She just had a dream that was both happy and sad. The two siblings grab their bags and go to disembark the ship. I want to point out that if you're not reading the book, you're just kind of following along with us on the podcast. Katara is sporting her hair loopies again. Yeah. And I like that. I like that she's going home. She's got all this nostalgia, all these fond memories of home. So what is she going to do? She's going to put her hair back into that traditional Southern Water Tribe style. Yeah, and it's not even the hair loopies. This is basically Katara's hair from the original animated series, like the first two seasons. Yes. And that is really cool because in the last couple comics we've read, she's had that Fire Nation inspired hairdo where it's like half up and half down. 
And she like has changed it a couple of times, had those little like long ponytails in the front. But yeah, she is back to her traditional hairstyle. And I do think it's because she's coming home. Yeah, that was just a nice little touch that didn't need to happen, but it did. And it's it may be a little more difficult to draw, too, because you have to always remember those things. It's not just like a solid shape that you kind of do. So mm-hmm. it just it shows a little bit of effort. I enjoy that. Definitely more detail. Yeah. Also, for anyone who's not reading the comic, Katara as a little girl is the cutest thing I've ever seen. Oh, my God. She's adorable. <laughs> she's adorable. She has big eyes and little chubby cheeks and like a little red nose. And also her mother, Kaya, looks exactly how she looked in the original animated yeah, series. Yeah, they did a really good job with this. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And then little, not baby, but little kid Katara, her teeth are just like, they're not buck teeth, but like, it's just like the little sliver and her mouth is much larger than her actual teeth. It's just very cute. Yeah. It's almost like her a little bunny. Her are adorable. Yeah, I love it. Well, even though Katara and Sokka have come back to the Southern Water Tribe to visit home, they don't recognize anything when they get off the ship. But then Katara spots something she does recognize. Penguin sledders! Hey! They join a group of children sledding off the top of a hill, and Katara has a nostalgic moment remembering how she and Aang went penguin sledding the first time they met. She asks her brother if he wants to sled for old time's sake, and the two siblings grab penguins and shoot down the hill on their backs. On the descent, an agitated Sokka calls out that he's actually never been a fan of sledding. He looks terrified. He does look terrified. Katara's having a great time and he's like bracing himself on the back of the penguin, like eyes wide, teeth gritted. I do like this bit with Sokka though, where he just hates sledding and every comic we've seen him in, he's either sledding or sliding. Yes. And it's brilliant. Especially with all of those slides that Toph has been making through the comics. Yes. And then he was on an ice slide too, if I remember correctly. So mm-hmm. he, he's just always going downhill and he's not happy about it, which is just like saying so much about his character. It's hilarious. So good. Their ride ends when Sokka runs into the wooden beam of a strange structure. Katara and Sokka notice that it's not the only structure in the valley. The foundations of multiple buildings are being built. Sokka asks a nearby child what the construction is all about, but the child refuses to talk to him. They mean his mother told him not to speak with strangers. An exasperated Sokka tells the child that he's not a stranger. He's Sokka of the Southern Water Tribe and therefore a friend. The child throws a snowball at his new friend and takes off running. Just then, three men approach the group. The men say they're all trespassing and didn't they read the sign? Sokka doesn't see a sign, but another child holds one up next to their snowman where it was being used as their snowman's shield. Southern Water Tribe children are the cutest children. And I was you just going to say. cannot convince me otherwise. <laughs> they are freaking adorable. The one who's holding the sign yes. has these giant red cheeks. And he's got a bit of snot right on his left, not- or our left, his right nostril. Yes. It's so cute. And it's frozen. Uh-huh, of course. <laughs> little Little nose icicle. I love this whole scene, especially a little bit of the previous one, where these kids don't recognize Sokka, mm-hmm. which is probably fairly insulting to him, not just because he's Sokka of the Water Trap, that's his whole identity, but in episode one, book one, he was training all of the children to be warriors. Mm-hmm. He was like the man of the village. He was the oldest male there. Yes. So he has this like idea of status on Sokka's mind of like, oh, I'm going to go back. All the children are going to remember me because he doesn't realize those children have grown mm-hmm. up quite a bit. Yeah, because these kids look about four... Five years old. Yes. They were too young to be in Sokka's army. Exactly. (laughs) Sokka's army. 
Yeah. So this is already interesting. Coming back, seeing these strange structures, kids not recognizing them. It's really showing how long Katara and Sokka have been away from home. Yeah. And that's something I think we as readers and and we as viewers and and the general audience for Avatar The Last Airbender can forget that so easily. It's been Mm -hmm. over a year since book three to the comics. And then it was probably, I don't even know how long it's been, a couple of years, I would say, during the series. Time is like wibbly wobbly in the series. Yeah, we don't keep track of it too much, except for the solstices and the comet is coming during the summer. That's the biggest time frames we get. I'm going to admit this fully. We've been deep diving into Avatar forever, I feel like, for two years. I still don't know how time works in Avatar. (laughs) Because they're like, oh, this is summer break. He has to learn all four elements. But I'm like, there's no way that was only three months. Yeah, I know what you mean. Maybe we'll go into this one day during like a an Avatar or, mm. or something like that. But I know that the time has been mapped out somewhere okay. for the Avatar world. So that would be cool to look into. Anyways, it's been a very long time. Long story short, it's been a very long time since Sokka's been back and a lot is changed with the children alone. Mm-hmm. So I'm very interested to see with everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Katara agrees that children shouldn't be playing around a construction site and promises that she and Sokka will make sure they leave. But one of the crew members doesn't take this for an answer, saying that this was the third time this week the children have trespassed. He waterbends a wave of snow at them, and Katara parts it harmlessly to either side of the group. She admonishes the men for ganging up on a bunch of little kids. She tells the children to leave, but Sokka tells them to stay, promising them that the fight will be awesome, albeit painful for the crew members. Two of the crew members block a bevy of snowballs that Katara sends their way merging them into a giant snowball that they launch back in her direction. They are also waterbenders. There's at least one waterbender there. Mm-hmm. Katara takes control of it and adds snowy spikes all around it. Seeing this, the startled crew members concede the fight. Katara lets the spiky snowball fall to the ground as one of the men insists they weren't really going to hurt the children. They were just going to scare them. Katara tells them to build a fence if they really want to keep people out of the construction site, because even though the men were being jerks about it, they were right to say children shouldn't be playing there. Sokka tells the children he and Katara will walk them home and asks where they live in the village. One of the boys is confused by the term village and points at the distant city. Katara and Sokka are shocked to see what looks like a smaller version of the Northern Water Tribe sitting on their former home, complete with a gate and blocks of buildings and wide avenues. All right, I got to say, this was a shock for me too. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Because when they look over towards the city, it is a two-page spread. It's a beautiful spread too. Oh my God, it's gorgeous. It's like a top-down look down the avenue. In the distance, you see the gate. And along that avenue, you have a bunch of different buildings that are very similar to what we saw in the entrance of the Northern Water Tribe. Mm -hmm. Just without like the little canal and the bridges. We don't see that here. It's a little bit different. It's a bit less ornate too, I found. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And also, we're going to see throughout the comic that there is a distinction between the two different tribes. Because at this point, the Northern and the Southern tribes are combining to help build up the Southern Water Tribe. Mm -hmm. So the Gurihiru team depicted Northern tribesmen with more simplistic and urban costumes. And the Southern tribesmen with more traditional costumes lined with like furs, for instance. Yeah. And it's one of those things too that you forget, at least I did, how different those two civilizations are just in terms of their Mm -hmm. clothing. Yes, exactly. And we're going to find out throughout the comic that there were other distinctions too that the characters experience. For instance, cuisine. Mm Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, I mean, it is very startling to see the northern structures in the Southern Water Tribe where before you had those more traditional like igloo-shaped mm-hmm. hut structures. So I can only imagine how shocking and like startling this is for Katara and Sokka. It must be so disconnecting for them. Mm-hmm. Being like, yep. oh, this is where our huts were. Oh, and there's a town square. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Crazy. And obviously, this is not the first time we've started to tackle this concept of colonization, modernization. We've seen that in other areas of the comics. And this trilogy thematically explores those positive and negative aspects of modernization. Yeah. I was reading this one, full disclosure. I felt like we we're talking about this earlier before we started recording. I was just like, this again? We already covered this. Can we get a new theme? But this is how I'm choosing to kind of look at this. We have not seen Sokka and Katara in this situation where it affects them personally. Right. They were kind of outsiders looking in and advising Aang and trying to help as best they can, but they didn't really have any stakes of their own in that Mm -hmm. particular argument. So they were just backing their friend. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously this is very personal because it's the encroaching of Northern culture on their Southern culture. And that admittedly is the direction that Yang was going because in the real world, modernization is usually depicted through like the proliferation of Western ideals spreading throughout the world and influencing those cultures. Since there isn't really an equivalent to the West in the Avatar world, Yang wanted to hint at those same dynamics between the North and the South. Yeah, and it's the smart move to make, I think, too. Mm -hmm. Because the North have much more rigid, I think, ideals than the South. Because also the South didn't really have any ideals when we first, or they had ideals, but you know, they didn't, their culture was barely hanging on when we first met them in episode one. They were very segmented because they were different tribes. Yeah, the war really tore the Southern Water Tribe apart. Mm -hmm. We're going to see them, I guess, try to stitch everything back together. Yep. They're also going to see the different reactions to this change because Katara and Sokka are walking into this and Katara thinks of it as their village being gone, whereas Sokka considers it as an upgrade because it's still their village, but better. He totally would. He would. (laughs) Sokka spots Auntie Ashuna and runs over to greet her. Katara joins them and asks how business has been, and Ashuna replies that it's been steady. When Katara asks where her hut is, Ashuna replies that she sells her seal jerky out of a cart now and lives in a nearby building with other seniors because her hut was torn down. As Sokka chomps on a piece of seal jerky, Ashuna calls out to the rest of the street that Katara and Sokka have returned home. A crowd soon surrounds the siblings and they're peppered with questions about their adventures. One of the bystanders drawn by the commotion is revealed to be Kana, their grandmother. Katara runs into her arms and Sokka joins for a group hug. Katara tells Grand Grand that she looks the same as ever and Grand Grand replies that Sokka's gotten taller. When Sokka adds that he's also more muscular, a familiar voice scoffs nearby. Paku joins them and the pair reveals that they were married just a few weeks ago, making Paku Grandpa Paku. <laughs> I love this. I know, it's so cute. It's so cute, and it's just, like, nice to see the story come full circle. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, because we hear that Paku is going to go to the Southern Water Tribe to help it be rebuilt at the end of book one. Yeah. Or even book two. I forget now where that was when he had the conversation. It was either in the Northern Water Tribe or... I feel like it was book two. That's just my gut speaking. I think so. I think it was one of the sieges. Yeah. Yeah. But it is really cool to see them come full circle and also to hear about the love story from book one and how Paku is like, Kana is the girl for me and I'm going to make her betrothal necklace. And then Mm -hmm. Kana's like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm leaving. 
Yeah. And then to see them come back together and they are still in love. It was one of those childhood romances kind of thing that turned into an actual marriage when they were older. It's cute. It's a very interesting dynamic because she clearly wasn't in love with him for one reason or another when they were kids, right? Or when they were younger, I should say. But now they've both lived a full life and they kind of found their way back to each other. And whether it's because they're in love or they just don't want to be lonely, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I don't think it matters, to be honest. Yeah, I like to think that Kana was sort of in love with Paku, but she didn't let herself fall deeply in love with him because of how much she objected to the culture of the Northern Water Tribe. Mm. So she put her ideals ahead of her love, her feelings of love and left. But now that she has been, like you said, settled, had a full life Mm -hmm. and been reunited with Paco again, she's let those feelings develop. She might even not object as much to what the Northern Water Tribe society is like post Katara. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That could also be like a factor here because as we all remember, she had a huge impact in a small Mm -hmm. way, in my opinion, where she was just like, I'm a girl. And I'm going to waterbend and you're going to teach me. And I know it's against your culture or whatever. We're only healers, but I'm not a healer. I can heal, but I'm not a healer. Yeah. Katara started those wheels of change. Mm-hmm. Yep. Long story short. I'm going to be saying a long story short. That's my sentence this episode. I don't know why, but it is. <laughs> this pairing, A+. plus. Yes. Yep. Well, Katara laments that she and Sokka should have come home earlier in order to make the ceremony. But Grand Grand replies that there wasn't a ceremony to miss. She and Paku actually eloped to the Misty Palms Oasis. Well, you know what they say about the Misty Palms Oasis? What do they say about the Misty Palms Oasis? What happens in the Misty Palms Oasis stays in the Misty Palms (laughs) Oasis. I think you're right because Paku says even though the Oasis did not live up to its name, they had a wonderful time. Mm -hmm. And Grand Grand adds that was due in large part to Paku being a romantic. Ooh. Ooh. Look how lovingly she's gazing into his eyes. I know. (laughs) It's so cute. That's what makes me think that. That's fair. She had feelings before, but now she's actually letting herself feel the feelings. It's also entirely possible to not be in love with someone when you're younger and then fall in love with them later. Yes, because people change. Absolutely. Paku tells Katara that she should visit his new waterbending school as he could use her help. Katara asks where he found students and Paku replies that that's the interesting part. Sokka offers his help as well, and Paku points out that Sokka is not a bender, but Sokka asserts that he is a bender of motivation. And swords. And swords. <laughs> as we remember. Mm-hmm. Kana tells the siblings that their father will be thrilled to see them and that he's been keeping them informed on how accomplished his children have become. Paku notes that Hakoda, in fact, does this constantly. Oh, God. Yeah. Hakoda's that dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's the dad that will take out the wallet and like, flip all the photos yeah. out and be like, look at my kids. Look at my Listen kids. to their achievements. Their best friend is the Avatar. How cool is that? <laughs> yep. Sokka asks where their father is and Paku tells them that Hakoda is in his office in the town hall. News that shocks the young water tribe warrior. Kana tells them that Hakoda isn't just a local chieftain anymore. He has been selected head chieftain of the entire Southern Water Tribe. Well. <laughs> well, well. Quite the upgrade. Yeah. And this is also a reminder that the Southern Water Tribe was very much like Kyoshi Island, where there were multiple tribes living in that space. They communicated with each other, worked with each other, traded with each other, but they were kind of each their own insular tribe with their own leaders. Mm. And in the case of the Kyoshi Island, 
their own Kyoshi warriors too. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Hokoda has been elected the head chief of the entire Southern Water Tribe is amazing. And you know what this means? What does it mean? That also basically means Sake is really a prince now. Oh, don't tell him that. <laughs> right know. to his head. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Katara and Sokka arrive at the town hall, an imposingly grand building that doesn't seem to fit their father. They knock on Hakoda's office door and enter to find their father sitting behind a desk with two attendants standing nearby. When Hakoda sees his children, he rushes to them and gathers them into his arms, seemingly in shock that they're really there. He then introduces his children to the other two individuals in the room, Melina and Malik of the Northern Water Tribe. It's their construction crew that are helping them with the Southern Reconstruction Project. Melina admits that she and Malik have spent most of their life in the Earth Kingdom, but muses that, you know, once you're of the Northern Water Tribe, you're always of the Northern Water Tribe. Mm-hmm. Just then, the men from earlier enter their room inquiring about the construction plans and stop in their tracks when they see Katara and Sokka. The two groups face off for a tense moment before Hakoda introduces the men as Noah, Kam, and Sunjay. He explains that Noah and Kam are waterbenders and Sunjay is an earthbender, some of the finest construction benders in the world. Melina tells the men that she'll drop off the blueprints in the morning and to enjoy the rest of their day. Once the men are gone, Sokka asks what they're building and Hakoda replies, it's a new office. The building they're in is actually really meant for the local government. And this is a detail that Katara is relieved about noting out loud that the building is a little too fancy for her father. Hakoda awkwardly agrees, but is interrupted by Melina, who gushes about the beautiful building they're making for their father, the head of state. She pulls out a blueprint and holds it up proudly, revealing that their father's new office will in fact be a palace. She is so excited about this. She's the only one in that room that's excited about this, by the way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. She's like, just wait till you see. Yeah. And meanwhile, they're coming back home expecting huts. Yeah. And they're finding out that their dad is getting built a palace for being the <laughs> chieftain. Really, remember how in the Northern Water Tribe, when they were visiting, they were received in a palace. They had like a banquet and there were yeah. waterbender performers. And it was this big, beautiful structure up against the cliffs. That's essentially what they're going for. Yeah. And Katara is not happy about it. Mm-mm. It's a little too uncomfortable. Yes. Well, really quickly, I did do a little reading on this. And Melina here was actually written as a more gruff character in the initial draft of these books, but was Mm. rewritten by Yang to walk this line between likable and unlikable. And we'll see more of the unlikable side a little bit later. So it's very interesting. I don't know what that would look like because right now she's she seems like a very strong, like physically strong woman. Mm hmm. She's got very short hair. She's tall. She's taller than Sokka. She's nearly as tall as Hakoda. Mm-hmm. And I've just been trying to like picture her voice. And I don't want to say I'm picturing Laura Bailey because I picture her voice for everything. But I'm definitely picturing <laughs> Laura Bailey, even though I picture her nice. voice for everything. Yeah, it's also really striking the fact that she's a redhead. Yeah. She has like a pixie cut. Yes. Super short hair above her ears with like a kind of shaved back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's red. So this is the first redheaded water tribe individual that we have seen so far, I think. I think so, too. Yeah, it's very interesting. She still has blue eyes, though. Yes. Yeah, but you're right. She really does have this presence to her. And after revealing these plans for the palace, Melina insists that the palace will actually command respect from other nations, showing them that the Southern Water Tribe are a people to be reckoned with. This is something she believes the South needs more than ever. 
Katara is astonished and a bit dismayed by this, while Sokka is impressed with the grand plans. Akoda expands on Melina's explanation, saying that the Southern Water Tribe will be taking a more active role in collaborating with other nations in the near future and needs to be seen as an equal partner. Sokka suggests adding a slide in the middle of the palace, something that Melina takes as a joke, even though Sokka is completely serious. (laughs) (laughs) Melina admits that she does admire Sokka's innovative thinking and invites him to join the crew as a consultant while he's there, much to Sokka's delight. Right to his head. Right to his head. No one mentioned (laughs) that he is also considered a prince now in some circles. Yes. Yeah. This small promotion to being consultant that panel, he's just like, well, oh, thank you. I know. I'm brilliant. I've always dreamed of this. This is great. <laughs> yep. Obviously, right to his head. Yeah. Yeah. This is interesting, too. The fact that Melina and Malik are here from the Northern Water Tribe, and they brought their construction crew, which is built up of two waterbenders and one earthbender. That was an intentional choice to show the beginnings of that partnership between the different nations that we're going to see prominently in The Legend of Korra. which has also been started from the previous comics with the Earth Kingdom and the Fire Nation coming together. So again, I love these little details, these little nuggets and little uh, hints at the story to come. It's just bridging this giant gap that I think everyone felt in between Avatar and Korra that didn't read the comics. It's just like, we know what's going to happen now, or at least I know what's going to happen kind of in book one. And... Hero and Yang are just like, all right, it's fine. Come on. Here we go. Look, 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 look here over in this field here that used to be a wonderful sacred place for the airbenders. There are now guards that look kind of like soldiers (laughs) from Korra. Okay. All right. It'll be fine. It'll be okay. Uh (laughs) So I've never been so happy to be handheld through a transition of anything in my life. (laughs) Right. I know. That's what the comics have felt. And I do appreciate it. Yes. Melina and Malik then offer to take the siblings out to dinner to celebrate. Katara begins to politely turn them down, but Sokka jumps at the offer of food, which sways his sister's mind. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Sokka's like, food? You had me at food. Sign me up. The group prepares to leave for a nearby restaurant, and Malik grabs his work briefcase, even though Melina tells him he can leave it in the office. The group travels down the street to the Two Fishes Northern Cuisine, where they discuss the differences between Southern and Water Tribe cuisines. Melina explains that she's been having a hard time with the Southern cooking because of how close it is to Northern food, making the taste seem a little bit off to her. This offends Katara, but the conversation carries on until a server arrives at the table and spills a bowl of food. The group leaps out of their seats and in the scuffle, don't notice another server taking Malik's briefcase from beside his chair. Malik turns and tries to stop the girl, but she swings his briefcase at him and knocks him to the ground. The girl then starts running in the direction of the exit, but is stopped by the quick water bending of Melina. She bends water from a nearby aquarium and turns it into ice on the ground, making the girl slip. The boy accomplice throws the empty soup bowl at Melina, knocking her violently to the ground. The boy and girl run from the building with Malik's briefcase in hand. While Malik and Hakoda come to Melina's aid, Sokka and Katara rush from the restaurant to go after the kids, who have jumped into a snowmobile. Katara quickly bends a sled out of snow and the siblings take off after the thieves. So this is like really unexpected. They're sitting down for a nice dinner. Some tension starts to form when Melina accidentally offends Katara talking about how she prefers Northern cuisine and how it seems to be 
in her opinion, I think it's coming across as like the superior cuisine because Southern food just tastes a little off to her. It's like not as good. I didn't read that as that though. I think that's how Katara took it. That's a hundred percent how Katara took it. I I agree (laughs) with that. Absolutely. There's no question about it, but this is one of those things where I think hearing the performance would sway me one way or the other. Mm-hmm. The delivery would really add to this. Right. Or, or even if the voice actor decided to have a more condescending tone for mm-hmm. this character, just in general, a little snobby and things like that. But I kind of agree and I can see where Melina's coming from. Yeah, of course. It's what you're used to. What you're used to. And so it would be like if you lived in New York City and you had pizza. I was just thinking of New York yes. pizza. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then you go to Chicago. Yep. And you have a deep dish. It's like, this kind of tastes like what I'm used to, but it's different. And like you expect one or maybe even just like if you go to Boston and get pizza, because it's still going to taste different. Mm -hmm. It's just like off. It's slightly off. It's not bad. It's just off for you. And it's not what you're expecting. And I think that's why a lot of little kids don't like new foods, even though it's a food group that they like. Like macaroni and cheese can be drastically different depending who's making it. Oh, yeah. I see where she's coming from. I also see where Katara is coming from, where she takes it very personally, because this is Mm -hmm. her nostalgia. This is her home. This is her culture. This is everything about her childhood that she missed over the past couple of years that she hasn't gotten to get. And now there's this woman here who's been having it for who knows how long. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't like it. How dare you? Yeah, exactly. And especially since we've seen these really cherished moments throughout the animated series where Katara and Sokka get to kind of come home through finding food that Hama makes them. Hama makes them a Southern Water Tribe style dinner. And then they meet up with Bato and Bato makes them food that's reminiscent of home too. And just how how special it is. Mm. So yeah, I can definitely see how it's offending Katara. But then Sokka, meanwhile, is like, no offense taken. Like, I don't care. This is great. Sokka just loves food. He just he loves care. food. He's never going to be offended if there's food around. I just have a feeling. Especially meat. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. And similar to the previous comics, we see this top-down look at the table where we see the dishes on the plates and bowls. And the Gurahito team created a Southern Water Tribe menu that was centered on meat dishes and based heavily on Inuit dishes and other cuisines from cold regions. So I like to think that there's some inspiration from certain dishes that we see on that table. We definitely see like slices of meat. And like what seems to be stewed things. I imagine stewed sea prunes or a version of that. Yes. Northern version might be on the table. <laughs> yeah. It looks so good. I'm getting hungry. I need to get off this page. I'm I know. I know. Right. Staring at it. Well, let's turn the page. Okay. The appearance of this boy and this girl is very sudden. The characters don't notice them coming into the restaurant. And we have a short little panel where they're whispering to each other, where it's like, ready, ready for the tribe. And they come over, they spill the food, they steal the briefcase and are out of the restaurant. So after jumping on their sleds, Katara and Sokka chase after them across the empty landscape to the outskirts of Wolf Cove, where they eventually lose the perpetrators. Katara and Sokka find their abandoned snowmobile and follow the pair of footprints through the snow up a short hill. This is where Katara helps with her waterbending, making steps out of the snow helping her brother get up a little bit easier. And when they crest the hill, they find the coast before them, along with a familiar sight, the abandoned shipwreck of the Fire Nation ship. From the first episode or second episode, from the beginning. Yes, from the beginning of book one. And that was intentional. Yang used that shipwreck from the boy in the iceberg to serve as the entrance to this hideout. 
to give that represented colonialism, which ironically is the very thing that this group that we're about to meet is fighting against. Mm-hmm. So like that symbolism there. Me too. But Sokka asserts that the shipwreck is haunted and Katara replies that no, she and Aang went there once. There's only booby traps and tripwires to watch out for. So the siblings enter the wreckage and follow this pair of footprints deeper into the ship. Sokka accidentally triggers a tripwire and the floor opens beneath him. He falls into the hole and once he establishes that he's fine down below, albeit not exactly alone, Katara follows him. The siblings find themselves in an ice tunnel face-to-face with a large water tribe man who introduces himself as Gilok of the Southern Water Tribe. Gilok recognizes them as Hakoda's children and reveals that he was once brothers-in-arms with Hakoda when they traveled the world fighting the Fire Nation. Katara asks him about a stolen briefcase and the two children who stole it, and Gilok tells them to follow him down the tunnel. What a surprise! This is very surprising. This is my one gripe, one major gripe so far with North and South. Let's hear it. There is no reason that shouldn't be Bato. Ooh, there's no that's reason why they need to create a brand new character out of nowhere. Be like, oh, remember me, kids? No, make it a character we already know and love, who we know is a good guy, established as a good guy, and who was best friends with Hakoda. And put them opposing each other. I did spoil this for a little bit myself. This is going to be a minor spoiler, I think, Uh for parts two and three. Okay. Bato does not show up in this. No. It says, according to the Avatar Wiki, which is amazing for just like quick little bits, right? Bato himself, the last appearance, because they include the comics on these. Yeah. The last appearance is Sozin's Comet Part 4. Wow. So the animated series, he doesn't even reach the comics. He doesn't reach the comics. I'm very upset about this. Oh my gosh. I shouldn't be so upset about this, but it's just like, it would have been so much better. We would have been so much more, I think, emotionally invested in something exactly. like this. No, you're blowing my mind right now. You're absolutely right. It would have been so good to have Bato be the opposition, the leader of the Patriots that we're about to meet going against Hakoda and Hakoda's new ideals paired with the Northern Water Tribe, Bato standing up for the Southern Water Tribe and the people there who agree with him. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that would have been amazing. But no, we get Gilgamesh. I mean, Gilak. Gilgamesh. I'm not going to... I'm not going <laughs> to... Gilak. I know his name. I'm just being <laughs> me. But I know. It just frustrates me. And nothing Man. against this character. He's got a great design. He looks very much like a Yeti. He's huge. Oh yeah. Very imposing. Yeah, very imposing. But like, still... Use a character that we already know and love. You're, no one else is using him ever again. Uh huh. We know he's not going to make it to Korra because he'd be way too old. Yeah. Uh, wow. I'm, I'm sorry, Yang. This is the one part where I'm just frustrated with you. Uh-huh. The one thing, man. The one thing. But I have to agree. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, even me, personally, going into this comic, I get to this point, and in the next scene, he leads them down the tunnel, and it opens up to this cavern where a bunch of Southern Water Tribe citizens are sitting and, like, congregating with each other. Mm-hmm. And even then, I'm like, who are these people? These feel like strangers to me. Like, yeah. why are they separate from the rest of the tribe? Like, what's their deal? And we find out that they're patriots, and they're standing up for the original culture of the Southern Water Tribe, but, like, the emotional connection is not there. And you right. are right. If it was Bato, we would have had that. Or even Grand Grand. I don't know. Someone. But like Bato, that would be my first That would be interesting. That would be crazy if Grand 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 versus Hakoda. (laughs) Yep. Oh, man. Wow. 
Well, this chamber with all these people, it's filled with tools, weapons, lanterns, a bunch of furs, and all of these Water Tribe citizens are gathered around what appears to be an elder. Katara asks what this place is, and Gilak tells them it's a gathering of patriots. Gilak identifies the elder as Thod, his second-in-command, and explains that these people believe their egalitarian way of life has made them weak compared to the other nations of the world, and that Hakoda, by refusing to behave as the other world leaders do, has made the South vulnerable to outsiders who wish to meddle in their affairs. Gilak cites the Northern Water Tribe as an example of this, claiming that during the war, they hid from the battle in their sheltered capital, refusing to fight and essentially behaving as cowards. Hmm. Well, this is all very surprising. Uh, I do have a note here on Mm -hmm. this. Initially, in that first draft where Melina was a a bit more gruff, this whole army, if you want to call them, this whole revolution, all these patriots, they (laughs) had a more... Rebels, thank you. They had a more religious cult kind of vibe to them which focused more on bringing about a water tribe avatar as soon as possible, because they thought that if the Southern water tribe gave birth or was home to the next avatar, then they would kind of ensure that their culture would survive. Whoa, that's pretty out there. It's pretty out there, but also I'm glad they didn't do this because it'd be very interesting. Don't get me wrong. But then this would just turn into a kill Aang as quickly as possible scenario. Right. Been there, done that. No, thanks. They don't want to. It's bad enough we're retreading some of the colonialization themes that we've already read about in Avatar. I don't want to see another kill Aang storyline. Yeah. Not to mention Korra was born into the Southern Water Tribe and became the Avatar. So... That would also kind of overlap in a weird way. Yes, agreed. Agreed. But so going back to your point, I do think that Gilak was probably created with this religious cult concept in mind and mm-hmm. then was just converted into this political leader. So that is probably why Bato didn't factor into it. Probably, but I still don't like it. Oh, I agree. Gligar here needs to go. <laughs> yep. Well, because of this comparison between the Northern Water Tribe and the Southern Water Tribe and them being depicted as cowards, Gilak claims that the only way to save the South is to forcibly remove the outsiders from the tribe. That's a little familiar. I think we heard that with the Fire Nation in the Earth Kingdom recently. Mm -hmm. Knowing this forced removal would be an act of war, Gilak led those who shared his views into this base where they've been preparing for the coming battle. Katara challenges this viewpoint, citing the new society that's been built by the Fire Nation in the Earth Kingdom across the ocean. When Sokka mentions Melina and Malik, Gilak strikes the ice wall and angrily names them as the pair that has been leading their society into being a cheap imitation of the Northern Water Tribe. They are not helping the Southern Water Tribe develop. They're imposing their own version of civilization on the quote-unquote savages of the South, which is what he believes the Northern Water Tribe has perceived the South to be all these years. Gilak suggests that their treachery extends far deeper than that, inferring this is the reason why Malik's briefcase was stolen. Gilak invites the siblings to join the Patriots to help their fathers see the truth, but the siblings decline. You can see that cult mentality, right? Cult leader mentality right here. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, oh, friendly. Hey, I'm just a big old teddy bear. Look at me. Hey, did you know that the North are actually super evil people and that uh-huh. they're terrible and they should be exterminated and get out of our land at any cost? And they go, uh-huh. that's not right. And he punches a hole through a wall without right. like flinching. Yikes. And then he's just like, if you're not with me, then you're my enemy. And it's like, calm down, Anakin Skywalker. 
Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's a conversation to be had here. But yep. it's just that like flip of a switch just reminds me of so many of those like cult documentaries that I've been watching a lot lately. It's yep. just, I can see why, I mean, this guy's not Bato by any sort. He's not even like a porn, he's a completely different beast. But like, this is kind of interesting, but I still, I'm just like, I can't get over this Bato situation. Yeah. But this guy's scary. Oh, he is. You're right. That switch flipped and yeah. Gilak seizes Sokka and attempts to hold him hostage. I also don't like that they make the leader of something of a rebel movement seem like an extremist immediately. Yeah. Being a little unhinged. And unhinged. Yeah. Like yeah. It's, it's just not like, I, I don't know. Like I didn't read part two or three yet. If you're trying to make us sympathize with both groups to make it a more interesting kind of dynamic, don't make one angry at the drop of a pin. Yeah, and obviously crazy in comparison. Yeah, like he's very clearly like something going on with him that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. And it's not sympathetic where I agree more, I think, with the idea that the South has a limited heritage left, mm -hmm. limited culture left, and they need to preserve it at any cost. Well, not any cost, but some costs. You need to try to preserve it. But now, I don't care. Hakoda, just do whatever you got to do. Like, <laughs> Right? No, you're right. You know it what does. I mean? It makes the reader go, okay, these are the bad guys. Let's yeah. just write them off. And then the conflict returns to Katara and sort of Sokka against Hakoda and Melina and Malik. Yeah. It switches us back to that personal struggle between the beliefs and the ideals of the characters that we recognize. Yeah. All right. What is this clown doing next? <laughs> well, he sees Asaka and was like, all right, I got my hostage. You're going to listen to me. But as we have seen throughout the show, Sokka and Katara are very talented and they lock eyes and they simultaneously attack to release Sokka from Gilok's grasp. Can I just say, I feel like, I think I said this when we were covering the animated series. I feel like we don't get a lot of just Katara and Sokka time. No, we don't. We, we don't. And it got to a point in books two and three where they were just separated all the time. They weren't even part of the same group. Like they, they would be like Team Avatar and they would split up into groups and yeah. Sokka and Katara were almost never together. Right. And then they had that moment. I don't remember the episode. I think it was... Day of the Black Sun. I don't think so. Because that's be where I last remember them fighting together. It was Katara and Sokka not fighting Breaking through necessarily. I was thinking they had like a very nice moment and it was yeah. book three when they were using their bending to gamble and make money. I don't remember what episode that was, the name of it right now. It's not the blind bandit, but they had the, the blind the bandit. Runaway. Want, the runaway. Thank you. It was the runaway. And they were just like sitting on the edge of the cliff and just talking. Right. And it was just very nice. And you forget how close these two are because they're mm -hmm. separated all the time. And I love uh, one of the avatar accounts that I follow that's always posting news and thoughts and stuff like that. And I've retweeted a couple things from them. They were saying something along these lines and it really made me think about their relationship and how even though they get separated, when they're reunited, they never miss a beat. Yeah. And I think that's oh. a really nice relationship to have as brother and sister. Absolutely. And that is exactly what we're seeing here. They are not missing a beat. They just like click into mm -hmm. the same wavelength and act as one unit. Yes. And you're right. We, we do rarely see that. And I think the most recent time we've seen that connection between the siblings is probably in the search, right? And they were having that brother-sister dynamic with yes. Zuko and Azula. And Sokka was like getting kind of gushy about how much he cares for his sister. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. but it is so nice to see. 
Yes. The account, by the way, that I was referring to was Avatar Universe. So if you want to follow them, they're at for Vatar Universe. Oh, <laughs> I'm assuming Avatar <laughs> Universe is already taking. Yeah. So instead of Avatar Universe, it's four. Four Vatar. In the case of the A. Four kind of looks yeah. like an A. Kind of. Yep. I recommend giving them a follow. I'm not paid or anything to say that, but they've had a lot Aww. of really interesting thoughts, I thought. so. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we're going to dive right back into the action yes. because once Katara and Sokka get Sokka out of Gilok's grasp, they rush through the tunnel and try to find their way to the surface. They're pursued by other warriors and Katara and Sokka are forced to fight their way through them. They escape once again and flee to the end of another tunnel that Katara seals behind them with water bending, but they soon realize they're not alone. Thawd stands before them, blocking their escape. As the soldiers begin breaking down the wall of ice behind them, Thawd begins telling them a metaphorical story about a snow rat. The rat, he says, learned to walk and talk as humans do, leading the humans to give the entertaining creature a place by their campfire. However, the snow rat soon forgot that he was a rat and began asking for more luxuries from the humans, like a home in a fishing boat in a place on the tribal council. The humans, however, had not forgotten that he was a rat, and they were insulted by his requests. So they chased the rat back into the cold where he shivered and was haunted by the memory of the humans' campfire forever. Katara and Sokka are mystified by this tale and don't understand what it has to do with anything. Just as the soldiers break through the ice behind them, Katara sweeps Thought aside with water bending, and they race deeper into the tunnel. They finally see an opening in the ice above them, and Katara lifts them to the surface with water bending. The pair runs from the wreckage on foot, soon seeing that they're being pursued by Gilok's men on the backs of Snow Leopard Caribou. A very weird break in the action. It was a bit. It reminded me of Hama's story back when they were in her inn. Mm-hmm. And she tells the story about how she was taken captive and broke free from the Fire Nation's prison. Mm-hmm. It had that kind of uncomfortable, what's the undercurrent to the story? What does it really mean kind of vibe to it? Yeah, I agree. He's saying something with the story. By the way, the story was originally supposed to feature a wolf, but it was rewritten to feature the snow rat because the wolf is just held too sacred to the water tribe and it would be mm-hmm. a little off. Yeah. But yeah, it has that like, what is this old man actually trying to say? And it's a pretty good idea to kind of introduce a character that looks this way, speaking the way that he is, because we're already trained to find the hidden meaning in small speeches and stories like this through Hama, through Iroh, through Boomy. So yeah, it's very interesting. And basically all he's saying at a surface level is, you can act like a person, but you'll always be a snow rat. Yeah. To them is what, you know, not like is your essence of being, but to the humans, you'll always be considered different. You can look, talk, change how you are, but that's just facts. According to, mm-hmm. how did you pronounce his name? Thod? Yeah, Thod. In my mind, it was just Todd. Because I was like, freaking Todd. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, at, at once, a lot of BoJack quotes popped into my head about <laughs> Todd. <laughs> But yeah, so I I would assume this is going to get called back on later. Yeah, I mean, already, we don't entirely know what the story is referring to. But on surface level, like you were saying, it makes me think of the differences between the North and the South. Yes. That no matter how much you mix them, there will always be a separation. Well, there's all these layers to this whole situation, too, because we're more concerned in North and South with the North's impact on the South by taking over whether they mean to or not. 
whether yeah. and it's that old saying the road to hell is paved with good intentions mm-hmm. right and that's the kind of i feel like what's going on here a little bit maybe a little more diabolical things are happening but we'll have to wait and see but there's also like this that's this level this is a very small part of the world right and then you zoom out and then all of a sudden it's the same thing kind of going on with the fire nation and the earth kingdom and then you zoom out and like all these civilizations which we learned very early on in the comics they're all melding together and everyone's afraid of losing themselves in this melding. Yeah. And that's like at the core and maybe rehashing it is just Yang's way to be like, this is the point of all of these trilogies that I'm releasing. Like, yeah, we're giving you some of the, the fan favorite stuff. We're giving you what you want with Zuko's mom and all that. But ultimately I think Yang's trying to say something about colonialization and the melding of cultures here. Yeah. And I, I don't think Yang knows if it's a good thing or a bad thing either. Yeah, I agree. That's kind of an age-old theme, right? Modernization. Things yeah. are constantly changing. And every generation is like, I don't know about this. Yeah, and every generation is like, the uh, the newer generation is going to ruin the world and uh-huh. all that, right? Yeah. But in the Avatar universe right now, it doesn't seem to be terrible. I think everyone is just afraid to lose what they love. Yeah, I think so too. Which is understandable. Understandable and a very interesting topic to tackle because Mm -hmm. like you were saying, we have all these very defined individual cultures with history behind them. And then we know, you know, this is not a spoiler. We know how things are going to end up in Korra. There's going to be Republic City where everyone Mm -hmm. lives all together. And it's very melded in this Mm. industrial type of way. So it is interesting to see the beginnings of that movement of the cultures beginning to collide and people trying to figure things out and others, some going fully into this and others resisting and, and all of this conflict that happens because of it. Yeah. Well, Katara and Sokka are once again on the run. Katara waterbends another snow sled and the siblings hop on and take off. But these snow leopard caribou are very fast. Also, by the way, this is the first time we were seeing snow leopard caribou. I they look them. awesome. I love them. They're so cool. Apparently, ah. oh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so cool, but I'm shh. But if they're all walking, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Apparently, these were originally going to be polar bear dogs, like Naga from Korra. Oh, I want that more. Uh huh. Make one of them a polar bear dog. Ah, uh, that would have been cool if it was mixed a mixed yeah. group. They decided ultimately to use snow leopard caribou instead, maybe to keep the Naga polar bear dog reveal under wraps. But then again, I think Naga is the only polar bear dog we've seen. Yeah. Unless we see more later in Korra. So I don't know. I love Naga. I remember loving Naga very, very much. But like they tried to do this Appa thing with Naga and it just didn't work for me personally. Yeah. I see where we're coming from. It kind of felt like a rehashed theme that wasn't done very differently. And so it felt weird. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about that one. We're going to talk about that that. once we get to Korra. (laughs) I just got excited because we're talking about Naga all of a sudden. I know. Sweet (laughs) Naga. Yeah. No matter how fast they go, the snow leopard caribou gain on them. Finally, Sokka reaches into his clothes and pulls out some of Auntie Ashuna's seal jerky. He throws the jerky as hard as he can in another direction and the creatures spin to chase it throwing their riders off their backs. Sokka and Katara speed away on their sled, agreeing that they will never underestimate the appeal of Auntie Ashuna's seal jerky again. Must be some really good jerky. Mm-hmm. I love how Sokka doesn't like the jerky all that much. Like, it's fine, but he's it's like, it's tough and it's weird and it's like kind of hard. And everyone else that is not from the Southern Water Tribe loves the jerky. 
Yeah, they're like, this is the bee's knees, Ashuna. Yeah, it's so it's just interesting where like one person's kind of like okay food can be someone else's like delicacy because they weren't raised on it. Yeah. You know, it kind of yeah. reminds me of like fast food here. Like I feel like I have like a lot of friends and stuff that are not in the States and mm-hmm. then they come to the States and they go, oh, McDonald's here is just a lot better because there's a lot worse stuff in it for you. It's all sugar and nastiness and like, yeah. but it, it contributes to the taste, which is different. Mm-hmm. So it just gave me that kind of vibe. Yeah. I also think that maybe Katara and Sokka are more nostalgic for different dishes. And the seal jerky is like the most entry-level Southern Water Tribe food you can get. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, for people who are visiting, for the Northern Water Tribe individuals, they're like, wow, this is is tasty. This is good. Mm -hmm. Well, Katara and Sokka return to the city and they head for Kana's hut, which has actually been preserved in between the looming buildings of the city. They see Malik standing at the door and Sokka, despite knowing that Malik will be upset to learn they failed to recover his briefcase, is relieved that they're not captured or worse. He tells Katara that Gilok's army of crazies need to be locked up, but Katara admits that Gilok sort of has a point. She gestures around them and challenges Sokka to tell her that the city does not look like a cheap imitation of the North. Sokka shrugs and says, well, it looks like progress to him. But Katara remembers what progress looked like at the earthen fire refinery and how much turmoil the factory brought to the air nomad lands. They finally walk over to Grand Grand's hut and are greeted by Malik, who tells them that Melina is fine. She's recovering inside. The siblings apologize for not being able to retrieve his briefcase and Malik is enraged to learn about the loss. Sokka assures him that they will find his briefcase. It's all right. But Malik rants about the lack of law enforcement in the South compared to that of the North. Melina is the most important person to him, and those ruffians hurt her. And since the South has historically been a loose collection of tribes, they don't have a unified concept of justice. Not compared to the North, where society is governed by regulations and rules and police to enforce them. And sexism. And sexism. (laughs) (laughs) Sokka assures Malik that their father will bring Gilak and his people to justice, but Malik isn't convinced. He stresses the importance of the work he and Melina are doing for the South, and Katara asks him what that work really is. Sokka interjects, telling Katara that, you know, Malik and his wife are simply trying to help them build their future. And Malik is startled by this comment and corrects Sokka, saying, no, Melina's not his wife. She's his sister. I... Yeah. Love this reveal. Me too. Because so far, it kind of seems like they're a married couple who are in the construction business together and this and that. And he also says that Melina is the most important person to him, yeah. which is Sokka takes that as, oh, they're married. Of course, she's the most important person to him. Yeah, absolutely. All of that. And also because that kind of makes them the mirror to Sokka and Katara. Exactly. Which we've gotten before in mm-hmm. the search. Yes. With the other Water Tribe siblings. I don't know if Yang's trying to say something by always showing us like mirrored versions of Sokka and Katara. Mm-hmm. But it's just interesting. This is a reoccurring theme that keeps on happening whenever these two are involved. We always see like alternate world version of them. Like this is the northern version of them. <laughs> a little bit older, right? Like it's, yeah. it's very... It's interesting. And then did this make you think who, like if Melina is in a relationship then? Because that's also the vibe. I was like, wait, if you two aren't together, then who? Uh Because she's a very attractive woman. Yep. She's a looker. That's for sure. And I did have that thought. I was like, oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we have one more scene. 
mm-hmm. for this comic. Oh, do we? We have one more scene. Oh, do we? Mm-hmm. After Malik corrects Sokka, saying, no, 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 Melina's just his sister. Sokka changes the subject going, okay, yeah, all right, where, where's our father? Malik points to the hut, Kana's hut, telling them Hakoda is inside with Melina. And Sokka enters the hut without knocking. And just as Katara begins scolding him for his lack of manners, they both stop cold in their tracks. Because Melina is lying on the bed with bandages wrapped around her head and embracing her in a kiss is their father. Can I do a slight rewrite to that? This is popping my head. A slight rewrite. So hold on. You you said let me let me find your exact wording here. Here we go. <laughs> I've never written anything of Acorns because Acorn is a much better <laughs> writer than me. But this one time is gonna happen, this is gonna be it. Let's hear it. So here it goes. Melina lies in the bed with bandages wrapped around her head. And this is my rewrite. And Hakoda wrapped around her lips. <laughs> I thought you were going to use wrapped again. Uh yep, Bandages wrapped around her head and Hakoda wrapped around her. Wrapped around her lips. Wrapped around her. <laughs> Sleeping with the enemy. How could you? Uh-huh. What a reveal, though. I feel like that is such a huge, like, dun-dun-dun. Yes. Absolutely. And it's this splash page. It's like little details everywhere. A whole page. Yes, whole yep. page. It's wonderful. Okay, so let's break this down real quick, a little bit. Okay. They're in Grand Grand's hut, which means where's Grand Grand? Does Grand Grand know? How long has this been going on? I didn't even consider this. What does he see in her? She, okay, Melina, like we said, is tall, strong, striking, redhead, assertive from the north. That is so, so, so much the opposite of so much of Katara and Sokka's mother. Yes. That makes me wonder. I'm uncomfortable about this on behalf of Katara because I know Katara is going to blow a gasket. She's not going to like this. Look at her face. She already is. The gasket (laughs) is about to be blown. (laughs) Yep. She doesn't have any words other than knock, which is finishing her sentence. And Sokka's mouth is just wide open. He's like, ah. That is like the epitome of his jaw dropped. Yeah, absolutely. Kana is Kaya's mother, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Then also, with that information, she's like the coolest mother-in-law in the world. Oh, yeah. Grand Grant would make an amazing mother-in-law. She's just like, oh, yeah, you have a secret girlfriend? Use my house. That's what I'm wondering. We Does think. she know or is it under wraps and they just happen to be recovering in Grand Grant's hut and he takes the opportunity to, like, kiss his new girlfriend? I don't know. My headcanon right now is they use Grand Grant's hut. That's like a rendezvous point. It's like that thrill of being a teenager again and just making <laughs> out with your girlfriend. And then you have to like keep an eye out for if your mother shows up. Uh-huh. That's, yep. that's what this is going on. That's my head gaining right now. But hopefully we'll see if she knows or not. Yeah. My initial reaction was being upset. Probably because I'm a lot like Katara. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, I'm seeing him kiss this girl, this woman who is so different from Kaya that in my head, it's like, did you ever love their mother? They're so different. Like, were you ever? (laughs) She's been gone for how long? I think that might be the way that Katara takes it. Like, Yeah, I think so. This woman is not like our mom. What were you thinking? Also, Katara, bless her heart, sympathizing with people that are trying to kill her again and seeing their point of view again. So they're really setting this up for quite the dynamic between brother and sister here. Quite the mess. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, so there were, we're going to get some divides again in the group, I feel like. We're going to oh. get a whole bunch. Because Sokka 
it's no surprise that Sokka loves every change that's happening. He's before, he's ahead of his time. Mm-hmm. He's a thinker. He's an idea guy. He embraces change. Yeah. And so he doesn't, I think what we're seeing here are two mentalities in terms of progress. And it's mm-hmm, absolutely. And it's destruction of home, let's call mm-hmm. it. Sokka doesn't view home as being destroyed because he doesn't expect anything to be intact when he comes back. Mm-hmm. And for him, I think home could be more of a memory than it is a physical place. Yeah. Whereas Katara seems like home is a physical place, a place you can return to. And when that gets updated, changed, whatever, she gets upset, understandably. Mm-hmm. But I'm very curious to see how both of them take this new relationship. Yeah. Here's my my prediction. Yeah. Sokka, after his initial shock, is going to get over it and be like, go dad. I think so. And Katara, after her initial shock, is going to be like, how could you? I think you're right on the money with that one. Absolutely. I don't know if we needed a evil stepmother storyline in this, this book, but apparently uh-huh. we're, we might be getting one. Well, another prediction, since we talked about how Melina's character was going to be a more gruff and tough kind of character, mm-hmm. the fact that they softened her makes me think that we're going to see more sympathetic side to her so. in the coming issues. And we're going to grow to like her a lot more and eventually root for her in Hakoda. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. That's all we can do. But that is the end of North and South Part 1. Mm-hmm. Ending on uh, quite the banger of a scene. Yes. Now, Greg, who is your MVP of the issue? Oh, it's clearly Gremlin. Gremlin? Whatever the heck is. No, it's not him. <laughs> Gilak? I'm purposely not saying his name. I refuse to acknowledge his existence. Which is going to be uh-huh. tough considering he's the quote-unquote antagonist of this Well, all. let's just call him... Not Bato. <laughs> Not Bato. No, um, the MVP for this. Oh, this is tough. This is all set up. This is all uh-huh. like, we didn't really get too, too much in terms of memorable scenes or anything. This is Yang is relying, I think, on shock value primarily. And that's not a yeah. bad thing. I think a lot of people, can, including myself, associate shock value with like a cheap, like bad thing. And that, that's not always the case. If done well, I think it is done well here. But it's all just like, whoa, look at this. It looks exactly like Northern Water Tribe. Oh, look at this. Papa Hakoda's got a brand new girlfriend. Oh, look at this. Like, mm-hmm. there's a divide with the with the Southern Water Tribe. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. That's yeah. That's that's how I feel. I think my MVP is probably just going to be Sokka because I love him, and like no one really stood <laughs> out. And, uh-huh. and I will say, I will say this though. My argument, my real argument for Sokka, is we haven't seen him in his prime in the comics yet. He's always just been a background character. Mm-hmm. And he's gone... Yang, I think, really went for the cheap laughs with Sokka, which I think was unfair for the character. Because Sokka is a character who primarily gets the cheap laughs out of everyone, but he also... There's more to him than that. Much more to him. So I'm really... I think he did a great job with Sokka and showing him a glimpse of who he was from the animated series at the end with showing the dynamic between Sokka and Katara mm-hmm. by embracing change, by embracing a lot of this, even the smaller stuff I think he was really into. I think it's just going to be Sokka because I like Sokka. And yeah. like, literally no one else is jumping out at me. I got to agree. No one else is really jumping out at me too, except for, and this is going to be my MVP. Okay. Auntie Ashuna. Oh, why? Powering the Southern Water Tribe with her seal jerky. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> 
<laughs> the last vestiges of the Southern Water Tribe culture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On Auntie Ashuna's shoulders and her oh, hut. Oh, man. That's yeah, great. her cart. What about the moral of the issue? I think the moral of the issue is, I understand this This might seem a little counterintuitive based on my little rant a couple minutes ago, but I think it's, you can never return home. Ooh, that's a bittersweet one. Yeah. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But And a lot of our, let's say, more experienced listeners have probably had this happen in their lives where you go to college, you go away for an extended period of time, months and months and months and months and months, years even. And then you go back to your parents' house and it's just different. It smells a little different. Your furniture is mm. arranged a little differently. What was once the living room is now the dining room. Like, it's just different. Everything feels smaller. It feels smaller. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, that couch that you used to spend all that time on just doesn't look quite the same anymore. It doesn't feel quite the same. And that's just changed. That's just how things go. And we're seeing that on a much grander scale here. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, that hits home. Mm-hmm. Pun not yeah. intended. <laughs> nice. Take it if you want. <laughs> so I got to agree. Like we were talking about, this comic really establishes the story and goes through a lot of like nostalgia points and laying up the conflict. So my like jokey moral of the issue was like never underestimate the power of jerky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, I agree. I think you can never really truly return home is such a good one, especially since me personally, I grew up in a place that has since been incredibly developed, overly developed. To yeah. where I literally cannot return home because I will return home to a foreign place, unrecognizable. Oh, Things were bulldozed and developed differently and trees were cut down and all of these things have changed that it's now to the point where home is only in my memories. And that's kind of a, it's a bitter pill to swallow sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. That's a good one. I'll, I'll take it. I'll plus one that. I didn't know that about you. I learned something new about you. Though. Yeah. Look at that. Learn something new every day. Yeah, but all in all, this was a good start to the story. I cannot wait to see the crap hit the fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything going down, all the conflict mm-hmm. blowing up in our faces and our characters' faces. So I can't wait to see what happens next. I know, me neither. So excited. But in the meantime, if our listeners want to get a little bit more of Avatar and us, where can they find you, Greg? Well, first of all, they can find us over at Podcast Avatar on Twitter. They can mm-hmm. also go to patreon.com slash Avatar the podcast if they want to um, help with some of the editing costs a little bit. If you want to get a little you know, extra content there for sure. You could also email us directly at Avatar the podcast at gmail.com. Or if you've done all that stuff and you're still looking for more in your life, you can hang out with me over at twitch.tv slash booster Greg on Monday and Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. By the time this episode comes out, we'll be done with this game, but I was playing Stray and it's Yay! so good. I've been having such a great time. It is heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time. It's mm-hmm. cute. It's adorable. It's very interesting. Like it's a great Annapurna game. And that's what I kind of come to expect from them. So we have a great time just being a cat. Amazing. Yeah. If you don't know, Stray is a game where you play a cat. Yes. In a cyberpunk world. Yes. With robots. With robots. In the robot. This is a little spoiler. The first time you enter the city, the robots are frightened of you because they've never seen a cat before in their <laughs> life. <laughs> What is this for? Like a demon? It's just like I, I walked up to one and I meowed at it and it booked it and hit an alarm. <laughs> Cute. Jeez. <laughs> like, wow, and then they get to like know you and they realize you're not going to kill them. But um, it's very, it's very cute. It's very adorable. 
hang out with me. Go over, find me on Twitch. Again, twitch.tv slash boostergreg. Monday and Friday evenings, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go over there, hit that follow button. We've got a whole bunch of new people hanging out that listen to the podcast, like Ditto1600. We have Lala Loopsie Cass. We have, of course, the regular reappearances of Conditioned Gamers, Singing 13, Tina Bina, Dead Sniper 19. Like all these wonderful people have been uh, hanging out, following, and, and contributing to the conversation. So come on down. We have a little like 30 minutes pre time before we, we play the game. We can talk about Avatar, we can talk about whatever's happening in the news. Uh, also, you can find me over on, on Twitter as well. Heck yeah. 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 Awesome. You can find me online similarly at Acorn Bandit or at Joyson Studio. Both are a little hitting a layer of dust right now. I haven't been as active on social media and the Joyson Studio is currently on vacation as we prepare for kind of like a relaunch in a little bit, gonna reassess and, and change some things up. Mm-hmm. But if you want to find me, you can basically search Acorn Bandit on Twitter and Joyson Studio on Instagram and online. Mm. Oh, and and Hatter and Wolf of Time. I can't forget about them. There you go. There we go. If I forgot about you, just yell at me on next time I'm live. Go yell at Greg on Monday or Friday. Yes, right. That's right. Central. Exactly. Or, it's not Central. Eastern. Eastern, <laughs> not Central. Eastern. Yep. Well, thank you again for listening. Thank you for the reviews. If you haven't written your review, please head over to Apple Podcasts where you can leave your five-star written review, which we will read here on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And we will catch you next time where we're going to be covering... North and South Park 2, or I like to call it Grimark's Revenge. <laughs> Grimark? <laughs> I don't know. I hate this guy so much. He's not Bacho. And I've never been so angry about anything in Avatar in my life. Uh, we're going to see um, Grindelwald, uh, Grimark, uh, whatever his G name is, not Bato, next time in, in uh, North and South Part 2. Yes. So we'll see you next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our other podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.